Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 2. My name is James Laidler, Australian poet, writer and your host. In today's episode, we'll be travelling down the aisle together, but don't be alarmed. This is no adventure into a landscape of white dresses, confetti, wedding speeches and drunk uncles. No, the aisles here we'll be traversing are ones lined with tin cans, plastic bottles and offers of 50% discounts. Welcome to your everyday supermarket. In this episode, we'll be travelling with the figure of Scottish poet Ali Whitelock as she slowly cuts her way up and down the supermarket aisles of loss and lament after the death of her own father. This is a very harrowing poem. In this commodified wasteland of the supermarket, full of endless shelves of disposable emotions, we'll bear witness to Ali as she enters into a deep state of retail purgatory rather than retail therapy. This is a mesmerizing and raw poem that haunts your senses. It is deeply human, full of complex competing emotions and it speaks to the confusion of reconciling the wounds we carry through our lives. This is a dark but beautiful poem and it's about time I put it on. So may I introduce you to, if you have no eyes, where do the tears go? by Ali Whitelock. This poem comes from Ali's recently published collection, The Lactic Acid in the Calves of Your Despair, published by Wakefield Press. If you have no eyes, where do the tears go? by Ali Whitelock. The emotions are half price on Tuesdays. You are lured in after your father's funeral by the fluoro lights, bright as the mushroom cloud you're not meant to look directly into, lest it burn the eyes right out of your fucking head. If you have no eyes, where do the tears go? You go inside, Pull your collar up, sink your unexpectedly wet face into the V of your jumper. Make like the woman who cut the coupon from the newspaper and won the three-minute trolley dash at the local supermarket. Take a trolley that does not require the coin you never have. On your mark, get set, go. Aisle one. Baked beans, corned beef, two fruits and syrup, sadness, move quickly, sadness is on special. Take a dozen cans, check date, make sure it has long best before. Aisle 2, Ajax, Napisan, stain remover, disappointment, throw in a dozen cans of disappointment, reconsider take spares. Aisle 3. Toothpaste, 
mouthwash, sanitary towels, anger, empty shelves of anger, get second trolley, advise girl on tannoy you will need assistance to the car, aisle four, dog meat, cat litter, sardines, regret, throw in a few, but then again, too few to mention. Turn out of aisle four, past the yogurts culturing better days, the free-range eggs in their supermarket cage, the low-fat cottage cheese you used to buy in your teens when you were trying to disappear. Aisle five, frozen peas, dim sum, Linda McCartney hot dogs, forgiveness, seeping from freezers like fog, Wipe a circle in the condensation on the glass door. Press your eye up against it. Stare in at the piles of forgiveness stacked neatly in convenient 250 gram blocks. Open the door. Take a single block in your hand. It is lighter than you imagined. Turn to your trolley already overflowing with the anger and rage, the disappointment and the hardly any regret and consign the 250 gram block of forgiveness back to its fog. Aisle six, strawberry ice cream, coconut froyo, lemon sorbet, comfort. Take 10 tubs of comfort, two of the sorbet, four of the coconut froyo. Though you do not really know what froyo is, it sounds like it might be happiness. Make way to checkout. Pile half-price emotions on conveyor belt. Pay your bill, the girl tannoys for car assistance. Once in your car, you momentarily consider going back for even just one single block of forgiveness. You decide against it. Turn the key in your ignition, head for the exit. Forgiveness is on ice. You know it will keep. So welcome back to the Lit Poetry Podcast. Ali Whitelock is a Scottish poet and writer living on the south coast of Sydney. Her latest poetry collection, The Lactic Acid in the Calves of Your Despair, is published by Wakefield Press, Adelaide. Her debut collection, And My Heart Crumbles Like a Coke Can, also is published by Wakefield Press. Her memoir, Poking Seaweed with a Stick and Running Away from the Smell, by Wakefield Press and Polygon, was launched at the Sydney Writers' Festival to critical acclaim. Ali has read at festivals and events around the world, including the Edinburgh International Book Festival in 2019 and the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018 and 19. So welcome, Ali, to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, James. Just listening to that poem and your interpretation of it and the, the, the hearing someone else read your work in such a powerful way. It's an extraordinary experience as, an, as a poet. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine that experience. I mean, I write poetry, but I haven't had somebody do that for me, and it, and it might be quite uh, disorientating, I, I imagine. I didn't know what to expect, and I, I, I'm really blown away by what you've done with the poem. You know, I'm, I'm sitting, I was sitting here oh, listening to it and almost listening to it as someone who didn't even write it. It was really, you know, beautifully narrated, and the music that you chose couldn't have been more perfect. Yeah, well, it was, it was a bit of a process to get to that piece of music because um, I did send you a few early versions where I, I really, I think, missed the mark in my interpretation, which was interesting. And I went much more for a sort of kitsch, sort of um, commercialised sort of feel to it. But I think, you know, after discussion with you and, mm-hmm. and going back to the drawing board, I think, yeah, I think it turned out really well. And my test for this is that my wife loves this poem. And interesting, this is the first poem oh. that I've published on the channel where I haven't included the, um, the lyrics down not the lyrics, the, the lines mm-hmm. down the bottom, which is pretty interesting. And, and that was actually off the back of my partner's su- suggestion that mm-hmm. she thought it just distracted from, from the experience. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I sometimes wonder about whether I really do want to read words along with someone else narrating a poem. I don't know. I think it does take away something from the complete immersion into the, the actual reading. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that poetry can work on those different levels that you can read it off the page and you need the words and you're mm-hmm. taking in this personal experience but when you put it to music put it to, to video mm-hmm. something else sort of percolates yeah. inside it and really. i guess as well it's there are you know in that video there is video there is music there is someone narrating i guess the addition of the you know the printed word on the page is another maybe it's just a level too much i'm not sure maybe it works in some instances but in this case I, I just I'm totally I'm totally gobsmacked by it. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Um, it was an interesting process to make it because it's quite a pastiche of um, uh, clips that I had to get together, and I had to search wide and low for a whole lot of because if people are listening to the podcast go onto the YouTube channel, they can watch the video, and it's you know it's set in a supermarket and it has all this footage that tries to capture the mood, but it was very much a jigsaw puzzle trying to put it together, but it was a great process. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very enjoyable. It might be good just to start to uh, bring our listeners up to speed on who you are as a, a poet. So, you know, what's your background? When did you come into writing poetry? Just a little bit about your, your mm. life and your and perhaps your work. Yeah, I, I, did, I didn't start writing poetry until fairly recently, I think maybe five years ago or something like that. But prior to that, I was a memoir writer. So my first book was Poking Scenes with a Stick, which is about growing up in Scotland. And, and I got... I started writing that. Well, I didn't start writing a book. I was very bored in my life and I wondered how can I possibly make myself more windswept and interesting to, you know, steal Billy Connolly's line. Um, Because I wasn't doing anything very interesting, anything interesting at all, actually, or anything creative in my life at all. And something just occurred to me one day that I thought I should maybe try to do something more than what I'm currently doing. So I just had a a regular day job. Mm. And so I... I went along to a local community college and, you know, in those days, I mean, those days, it sounds like, you know, I'm talking about 50 years ago, but it was, it was only in 2005 or something. But in those days, you still got the brochure and the post from WEA Community College, you know. And so I clicked through that and I, and I enrolled in a few things and tried different things, painting for beginners, photography for beginners, this and that. And I, I just didn't, none of the, I didn't do any of those things well and they didn't ignite anything in me. And then 
as a sort of last resort, really, I saw this thing called creative writing for beginners. And, and I really just thought, I'll give it a go. You know, I've tried everything else and I'm crap at everything, so I'll try this. And so I went along for the first night and it just blew the top of my head off. Just changed. Well, you're, cer you're certainly not crap at this, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I found your work really dynamic um, and you sent me um, a, a copy of your, your most recent uh, work. So I've been looking through that and reading poems and it's really interesting your your poetic style um i just had mark uh Tredenic on uh the podcast um in, in the last interview and he's got a, a vastly different style mm -hmm. from you he's very melodic and mm -hmm. um you know probably more classical in his in, in his style and, mm -hmm. and he uses a lot of refined meters and stuff but you're you know you're, you're more rem reminiscent of plath to me you've got like this kind of oh, <sighs> It's almost like a, you're jazzing on the page. That's what that, that's mm -hmm. what it feels like to me. There's this sort of um, whiplash that you get from your po poetry, mm -hmm. and even um, some of the, the titles of some of the work. Um, so your first work was um, was it something about the uh, cr uh, the crushed heart and um, a coke can? It's yeah, <laughs> it's an incredible line. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you yeah. you tell me about that because I, I find your style really really interesting and it's really it feels really earthy to me and mm -hmm. you know kind of like the, the common person sort of mm -hmm. poetry to me yeah i think that's that is exactly what it is common common person poetry because at the end of the day we're just all come we're just all, i mean i think at the end of the day we are just all ordinary you know, I live my life from that perspective and some of my friends don't like that I do that because they don't, you know, they might not think that every life is ordinary, but I think it is. And within that ordinariness is the gold as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, that is where the gold of, the, the gold where I where I write my poems from, that it's the nuggets of everyday boring drudgery, really. You know, it's the go into the supermarket, get the shopping and put in a load of washing. Those sorts of ideas and lines will come through my poems because my, my poems seem to be, for whatever reason, rooted in that every ordinary, every everyday ordinariness. I just think, I just think that's to be celebrated in a way, although... Oh, absolutely. And I think you bring the beauty to it. But it also seems to me that you, you have this tendency to say things that I think people bury or they they're not prepared to say and you say it in a way that's really fresh and kind of slaps you across the face which i which i love so taking um images and and, and um and sort of presenting them in this uh really unique sort of way is that something you sort of intentionally yeah it's, just you're always looking for this to always, something that's electric or, or for it. always a hundred percent looking for it my mantra is how am i i mean at the end of the day an emotion's an emotion is an emotion so we can all we can all sort of describe emotions but my mantra is how am i going to describe this in the most original way possible yeah and typically that most original way for me will be a, you know rooted in something very ordinary so it'll be about you know a fried egg or can of baked beans or you know so that is that is what i tell myself every time i sit down to write you know i'll look at my lines and go that's a really crap boring line okay well how am i gonna say that in the most original way i possibly can yeah and hopefully i also i also try to think of ways um that are funny you know i like to have i like to have humor in my poetry mm -hmm. and I guess that comes kind of intuitively in a way because there's often very 
sad things going on in my poems, mm. but I will kind of throw in a line. Oh, there's plenty of humour in your poetry for sure, and there's a lot of darkness as well. There's, mm. it's, it's, it's quite a mixture, actually. It's mm. um, quite intoxicating, indeed. But I suppose your style comes with a, a level of risk taking, I suppose, because yeah, when you're looking for those lines and trying to push mm. the envelope and boundary. Yeah. Um, you, you're pushing it closer to the point where it could not work. Um, do you find that when you're in the process of writing, do you have like an editor or somebody you're, you bump ideas and uh, someone who can really give it back to you and say, nah, yeah, no, I can see what you're trying to do, but... No, I would, no, I would never, I never share anything unless it's finished as far as I'm concerned and I'm the only person that I can satisfy. I have to satisfy myself and, and then you put the work out into the world and it will or won't work for other people and my intention is never to offend obviously uh, and, and as I write as I write if I find that little frisson of fear when I say oh shit can I really say that in the poem I have to sing it I have to say it you know that's yeah, how... and that's the impression I get that you have those moments where yeah. I can see that that's what you've done and, and I kind of go yeah. good on you because a lot of us wouldn't have the courage to actually enter into that space but it's so refreshing mm. to see somebody embrace it um yeah, so I think it's a, it's a marvellous thing. Looking at the uh, the poem that we've we've played, um, I suppose it would be really good for the audience to have an idea, because you know it took me a while to. It was actually a discussion with you when things sort of fell into place where I understood the context. The context I, th I thought was actually really important to unlocking this poem for me and actually taking me deeper into it. And you and you spoke to me about um, your father, um, and I don't know much. Like it's, it's a very general understanding I've got, and um, the introduction said that it's a poem that is dealing with the death of your father. But I suppose it would be really good to hear um, a little bit about that background and is it actually a retelling of a real experience or is it actually um, a fictionalised sort of exploration of your feelings? Mm, I think, I mean, the, the feelings in it are real, obviously. The emotion of it is 100% real. And did I go into a supermarket while I was grieving? Yes, but, you know, it wasn't about a particular time in a supermarket as I was grieving. But at some stage in the process of my grief, that sort of goes on forever anyway, um, I just had this flash of pushing a supermarket trolley down an aisle and just grabbing baked beans, two fruits and syrup, Ajax, sadness. Oh, where did that come from? You know, it's one of those moments and then then I just did the, the whole tour of the supermarket throwing in these various emotions along with my everyday stuff cat litter dog food tampons you know yeah well so that really spoke to me and it made me think broadly of the society that we live in as well and where perhaps where oh, you know you could argue that people at any given time are probably impoverished with their ability to deal with emotions and how emotions in our world today have become largely to some point, um, com commodified, and um, and that the and the metaphor of the, the supermarket really represents a really good opportunity to explore that tension in our modern lives of you know, mm -hmm. grabbing these ordinary everyday 
objects and then contrasting that with emotions. Um, you want to talk to me a little bit about that i might be really off the mark here but i was certainly hearing a a political Mm. sort of dimension to the poem as well yeah you did mention that to me and i hadn't been aware of it you know but i that is another level that you can set i mean that's the thing about poetry it goes out into the world and it speaks to people in different ways and you can't Mm. control that and so whatever you intended as a poet may not be what lands in the ears and hearts of other people but i think that is really interesting that you know it's almost um you could argue that there is a um an element of we can buy everything these days why not emotions mm. you know and and also to what you said about people a lot of people being unable to access those emotions in themselves um yeah like this is the, the commodification of yeah and also like a supermarket is an overwhelming place it's a sense it's the sensory mm. overload that you experience there and you don't know sometimes you've got multiple choices mm. and when you're navigating your way through difficult emotional landscapes personally maybe the experience is a little bit bewildering like that there's so many you know if you're you've got loss but that brings up all these other emotions and and at any given point you could be at anywhere along that spectrum of emotions Mm. um yeah i think i think pushing the supermarket trolley that image of that and and focusing more on what's going into my trolley I think for me in that poem, that brings a silence and it brings me to myself. But a supermarket is chaos and it is 50 million products and it's bright lights and it's jostling and it's crap music. And but, but so, so within that chaos, and I guess what I'm trying to allude to, although it's very difficult to really understand your own work sometimes or to articulate what it's about, but it's something about the chaos that we live in every day and yet inside that we've still got to navigate something and on this particular day we're navigating grief and trying to get the shopping in mm, yeah and, and pro- again maybe you may not have meant it but you know the, the pushing of the trolley and the trolley to me is like a an object of burden you know that gets yeah. weighed down by the objects that you accumulate yeah it's interesting so, isn't it? that is one way of looking at it and and um thinking about this podcast today i could also see that the trolley is almost the person grieving you know just kind of being pushed around just going through the motions of getting through this things yeah and even the fluoro light you know this idea that sort of um when you go through a hard time like that you are exposed to the world around you the people Mm -hmm. know that you're going through that experience and it does create a sense of vulnerability um, mm. in your life there's nowhere to hide at all yeah that's right um, you still have to be part of the world yeah you do yeah. you do yeah it's very interesting the, the other thing that really um drew my attention too was that you use second person mm. narration a lot through the poem because mm. you, you're talking about you do this and you do that mm. and to me that, I thought that was great because you know the more i thought about the poem and, and I, I listened there's that, that real sense of detachment and alienation this real inner struggle that this and the use of just that simple narration you can i mean you can describe pain and and anguish in lots of different ways but then when you use a technique that's so i don't know it just seems really authentic to me that you're kind of disembodied from yourself mm. as well yeah that so is, it was really powerful mm-hmm. to talk to, was that yeah. an intentional i don't know choice? i mean i i can't i was i mean the poem comes out as it comes out and it so happens this come out with you know you will this and you will that you will then this and this and this and there's something about the you, there is almost two yous in the poem. This you who's telling this story is telling the other you inside you, this is how the future's going to look. 
you will do this. Your father will die. You will go to the supermarket. And there's something, uh, yeah, there's some kind of relationship between the, the sort of external self and the internal yes. self, I think. Yeah, I think the external yes. person is advising the internal person. This is what's going to happen. It'll be fine. You know, <laughs> it just has to be Well, that's, that's right. And, and again, you could make an argument that any given person, any given day, actually is two people in one. Yeah, yeah it's what, right. that, that, what you show to the world and this other internal yeah. monologue. Yeah, and then, doubts, confusion. That's right. And then you have the poem itself, which is almost like it's part of the, the collusion, if you want to call it that. The poem seems to hold a secret that you didn't know about. Mm. You know, it seems mm -hmm. to know that's the secret of your future. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so as you push your trolley around, there's something telling you some other voice, you know, you will this and you will yeah. that, you know. Well, it's interesting because the other way I read that, because that really makes sense to me. But again, thinking from a political point of view, that the, that the whole machinery of our society and the supermarket is pushing products like you. It's, it's saying you've got to feel this way, you've got to mm. buy this thing. The you that, you know, so I was thinking too that that voice... Yeah, I can hear that it's sort of in, in yourself, but it's also coming from your environment, mm -hmm. um, which is yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that is too. interesting too. And I think I think also we, you know, to your point, which was was never the intention in the poem, but I love it. <laughs> and that mm. is we're all kind of exhausted with being sold to. We're all exhausted mm. by the vast array of products that are going to change our lives. Well, they don't really change your life. Mm, no, but I find no, that's a great comfort in that knowledge, you know. Yeah, well, and it's interesting with poetry too that, like you said, you, the, the the second person wasn't intentional. But it's amazing how poems are organic in a way, mm. partly, and they and they sort of stumble upon themselves. Because um, you can go back and you can write techniques back, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen lines that you haven't been happy mm -hmm. with and said, oh, no, "I really, do. I think a metaphor is the right thing to pop in there," mm -hmm. and I just need to work it out, but. Do you want to talk about the the process then of writing this this poem? How did it actually come 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 out? You, know, you said a few words about it, but is there anything you want? Yeah, to Yeah, I just think it came from the a line that came from somewhere. Who knows where they come from? But it, and it was, oh, if you have no eyes, where do the tears go? Like where do you know? It just that seemed to me to be most the most exciting and juicy thing to write down as a line. Yeah. And I don't know, and then, then from there, I think it, you know. I don't even know. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a fascinating part. Like, and it's really interesting at the start because there's this, you know, you're, there's this weight of emotion and yet there's this comical bit where you're like this, um, the woman who's won the, mm. the, 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 the mad dash at the... Yeah. And I love that sort of juxtaposition of, of that mm. sort of... That should be a happy, manic sort of... But the manicness here is, is deep, dark, horrible, difficult emotions. Um, yeah. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so how did your what's your mind doing at that stage? Stage when you put a, that sort of eye, uh, thought in, like, is it is that what you? It's just come out, or come out. I mean, because you know, there's for me, there's also a sadness in those things. Somebody wins the thing at the local supermarket, and they go off and they try and get all the things into the supermarket. I find that I mean, I don't know, it breaks my heart. Those kinds of things, mm. you know, mm. that that we kind of think that that one thing is going to bring us any great amount of joy. And I'm not saying some things don't bring us a great amount of joy, mm -hmm. but they're kind of banal things, and yet we all kind of 
what one day we won the thing when we cut out the coupon in the supermarket, you know. That's right. And so yeah. that kind of heart-aching sadness for me is, you know, uh, that that comes through, I guess, in, in, a, in a lot of poems, but there's something about the ordinary banality of it, you know. my Somebody once said, actually, poet Maggie Gibson, my friend in Scotland, said once, you know, Ali, your poems are daringly banal. And I love that so much because I think they are, you know, and it comes down to that, the woman who won the trolley dash at the supermarket. The man on the news says it was so hot, hot out west that, you know, someone fried an egg on a shovel. Those things to me make a poem come to life. Yeah, but that's what I think makes your poetry quite attractive too, is that um, there's, a, there's a level of humility in that approach, I think. And again... You know, there's nothing probably worse than reading poetry than is um, clearly overworked and pretentious and someone trying to force mm. um, a vision out of their own ego mm. rather than just sort of a sense of abandonment in a poem that's trying to just be just be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's it. I think honesty is, is vastly important to me. And also, yeah. you know, I heard Paul Muldoon read and speak at Sydney Writers Festival a few years ago, and something that he said, I, I have sitting on my shoulder every day as I write, and he said that when you're writing a poem, it's important to know, but it's crucial to not know. So there's something about that getting out of your own way when you're writing a poem. Yeah. Stay out of your way. Don't drive it. You don't know where it's going to be. I mean, how many yeah. of us have sat down to write a poem that we thought was going to be about I don't know, your mother and it ended up about the Olympics or whatever, you know, it's, that's another, that's one of the exciting things about poetry for me. You don't know. No, you don't. Yeah. And, and Seamus Heaney was similar. He, he, he was on about um, getting out of the way mm. of, of, a, of a poem, mm-hmm. making sure he was sort of like a steward, I suppose, and making sure he didn't mm. you know, basically stuff it up. Yeah. But yeah. And but, yeah. It's, it's about but, don't impose censorship on yourself. I'll often say to people, Write the poem that you know is going to offend someone if that's what you want to write. Write yeah. You can edit it back, but I think it's important to get it all out onto the page, warts and all. No one needs to see that. Yeah, I think that's right. Know, that's right. Don't stand in the way of it. Like, if you want to see yeah. that your neighbour's, you know, leaf-blowing drives you off your head every day, then say it in the poem. But you can maybe yeah. cut it back and change it if you want to. I, I kind of put those things in and then I don't feel the need to change them. I'm happy to leave. Because I, for me, it's important to be daring and to not say, oh, should I say that? The minute I hear myself say that, you say, you're saying it. So you're saying it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's right. Turning back to the to the poem, um, the, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, Ellie, was uh, when I was reading through it, I was seeing this connection. And again, it might have just come out organically for you, but so some of the aisles or sections you were going through and the emotional landscapes that you were navigating. So I've got things such as you know, when you're going through the frozen sections, that's where forgiveness happens. And it, you know, to me, it seems like you know you're stuck emotionally in the cold. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that sort of thing. There was another line, just bringing up about um, regret. Yeah, it's got, and I love the the harsh 
harsh products that are here, like dog meat, cat litter, sardines. You know, and I like sardines, but you know, they also some people think they stink yeah. and regret. Like this, so I got this sort of real correlation between the items yeah. and the emotion. Yeah. Um, I thought that was. So was that something that you just came out or did you rework back into the poem or? Oh, I think, um, I mean, products just fell out, like the most banal products, two fruits and syrup, Ajax. Those are things from my childhood and my past. Mm. Two fruits and syrup, corned beef. Those those are things my father would have eaten and would have had in his cupboard, you know. So there's that aspect to it. And then there's also the aspect of, yeah, I would have gone back and sort of tried to, you know, tweak the products to kind of maybe mm. be in line with the emotion yeah definitely the forgiveness is you know obviously forgiveness can i forgive him you know that's the last oh, it's such a beautiful part of the poem i think and, and the, the idea of the fog and sort of you know wiping away the condensation yeah it really just hovers in that moment um yeah the poem seems to me slow to really slow down yeah it's, interesting. it's very powerful yeah because a, there is a hovering it's kind of like i'm reaching and in, in, i'm going to reach into the freezer for the frozen um disappointment but at the last mm. minute i say not I want, you know, disappointment is frozen, it will keep, you know, it's all nice. And that's, I get obviously that's, uh, you know, alluding to the fact that maybe in the future I will be able to forgive. Yeah. You know. Well, there can be pressure sometimes. I know when, when um, loved ones pass and, and maybe there was difficulties in the relationship and there can be a pressure to find some sort of sense of closure and forgiveness. But I, I imagine often the case is, is more like this, that, that you can see that desire to get there but it's not the time or there's a there's more seasons to go through in the process um is that sort of yeah and i think also i'd say that forgiveness isn't even necessarily a definite thing i could forgive someone or my father let's say one day and then maybe the next day i won't forgive him again that's okay too Mm. you know i don't i don't necessarily well i don't at all think that grief is sort of linear beautifully choreographed Dance. No, that's re- that's really interesting, isn't it? And, and I've experienced that with people um, and myself, where you you do get a sense of oh, I've forgiven you, but then you like a couple of years later, you have a moment where you ta- you're taken back to some event, and you go, like, no, I haven't forgiven them. They'll hate you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that's also something that became apparent to me the more I wrote about grief was that oh, because you know prior to writing about death, I think I imagined. And, and many people in my life hadn't died at that stage, but that grief was about sadness, which it is. Mm. It is also about anger, and it is also about regret, and it's also about disappointment, and it's also about happiness, I guess, and it's also it's about, there's, there's, there's so much in grief. Um, yeah, well, that's that's um, one of the questions I had for you, actually, that those almost like those stages of grieving um, really come out. Um, and you have, you know, sadness, disappointment, anger, a little regret, forgiveness, and it goes on. Mm. Um, so I suppose, yeah, that, that takes us to another question about um, is poetry therapy or is it um, is that part of what, you know, when you get wrapped up in re- writing a poem, is it just because you're, like you said before, you're, you're inspired, the mm. line comes to you and it's just, you know, Maybe you are even bored or something like that, or is it I think, also a way of... I think any any writing that I do is always about the act of making art, 
always. Mm. I mean, I may have a therapist. I've been having therapy for 20 years, so I can take care of that mm. in the therapist's office. I've never felt that my writing was therapeutic. I mean, mm. you know, from the perspective of those types of situations that we're talking about, you know, sort of the love of a father or not. I mean, mm. for, for some reason, I just love taking these emotions and these situations and sort of putting them on a table in front of me almost and just picking them apart and picking them apart mm. and picking them apart until I've got something on the page that just feels so good to me you know and, and I love having written I love having written and I feel a certain sadness when the poem is over because I now need to start another one but for me it's almost about this is this is what I do every day so I can't be in therapy every day, but mm. I don't. I mean, I'm. I'm. I, I say that you know, the the poems. I don't. I don't feel in my body anywhere where that sense of catharsis lives. Having written a poem, I just don't feel it. I feel excited when I've managed to wrestle a poem to the floor and nail it. I feel so joyous. Mm. I yeah, a deep that. sense of satisfaction in that. A hundred percent, and it's kind of yeah. like I've written that now, um, and never, it's never, it never occurs to me or that I've um, processed something in myself that I wouldn't otherwise have processed. Yeah, but I think I mean you're, you're hitting on something here. I think it's perhaps really important for because there'll be budding um, poets and writers out there, but perhaps listening to the podcast um, is it getting wrapped up in that process seems to take you to places that are really enjoyable and real for you. Um, and, and that might be the, the actual trigger that does inspire you and help, help you to write. I, I certainly know that if you go into writing and poetry more from the, the side of you're thinking about your audience or you're thinking about the message you're giving to somebody else, that can be problematic, I think. Mm. Um, can, yeah. can... I think, um, I mean, I think Charles Bukowski said something along those lines. The minute you start to write for an audience or an editor, you are fucked. So, <laughs> and I, I don't know, I read that very early on, but it's, I get, you know, at the end of the day, as I said before, I need to be happy with what I've written. And I know enough to know now that the poem will go out and speak to, you know, maybe, you know, some people but not all people it just can't but when you first start writing you hope that the world will adore you and then when you finally realize that the world can't adore you the world in its entirety can't you know it's devastating but you must oh yeah I, I think so yeah and it's like that with poetry perhaps even more so and it's it, it's kind of like music to me that you know you think about all the different styles of music and you put like classical in front of some people and they just go, I hate that. Just turn it off, please. You, yeah. you know, my, yeah. my ears are bleeding. Um, and it's like that with poetry. Mm -hmm. um, about, you know, so you'll have different styles and some will really mm -hmm. just connect with people and others will, people will go, I don't understand. I can't hear the music. Yeah. I, it's just not doing it for me. Yeah. And, and that's just, you just got to accept that, that that's you the do. way we're different. And what um, I will say to people who say that, that same thing to me is I'll say, you just haven't found a poet that you love yet. You know, the yeah. minute you do, because poetry generally, you know, I was certainly someone who spent most of my life saying I hate it, you know, and then I found one poem, poet that I thought, oh my God, what is this? So was that, that wasn't Bukowski, was it? It was, it was, I mean, the first poem that I read that I thought, oh my God, it was a John Berryman, Life, Friends, is Boring, We Must Not Say So. I quote that poem so often, but by God, every time I think about it, I watch him read it so often on YouTube. 
Uh, it just it just um, makes the hairs on my body stand on end. It's yeah. extraordinary. So there's that. But you know, sometimes I will say the same thing to people that. You know, if you say you hate poetry, do you also hate music? And they'll say, no, of course I don't hate music. And I say, well, within that umbrella yeah. of music, there's rock, jazz, you know, classical, la, 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 la. You know, choose one yeah. of them. It's the same with poetry. And I think a lot of the problem is just that people haven't actually been exposed to much poetry. And the, what they have been exposed to is usually mm-hmm. from primary school and high mm-hmm. school. And it comes in very sort of predictable, cliched sort of forms, mm. and it's just not for them. And there are ideas and old ideas that don't necessarily don't speak to most of our everyday experience. Mm. You know, of the you know, the washing and hanging out the the washing on the line and going to the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting um, last season because I um, teach students and I did a poem, um, the Seven Circles of Earth, which is oh. sort of a, a play on uh, Dante's. Yeah. Um, Nine Circles of Hell, but the poet, who's a gay man, and the poem's about um, uh, two gay men in mm-hmm. uh, Texas who got burnt to- yeah. alive, mm-hmm. but the poem is written as footnotes. It's written in the footnotes, so the, yeah. the poem is actually blank, and then it's, and you know, the kids just, something happened with them when we were doing that poem. I, I don't think I've ever had so much success mm. in a class with a poem, because they understood that, you know, in, you're consigned to the footnotes mm. your voice is nothing mm. and then they started completely getting right into it and they could see the art in it and mm. the beauty in it mm. and the pain in it it's a beautiful poem yeah. it's an extraordinary piece of work isn't it mm, it is mm. yeah yeah so i think it's about perhaps people just being exposed to right what you exactly what you're saying mm. which is important yeah couple of lines I suppose mm-hmm. um, I'm just trying to identify some of the ones that I wanted to talk about oh yeah I really love when you get to <laughs> it, it so it, it's got like shades of light and dark this poem um, so it's got the that slowness and the beauty of the the frozen section and then when you get down to the strawberry ice cream mm-hmm. and you know maybe trying to you know, deal with things by getting things that are pleasurable and the yeah. and the the 10 tubs of comfort but the what was it the the coconut fro yeah so you don't know exactly what it is it sounds like it might be happiness can you tell me about that line because that one yeah. i just love i just got this, got this sort of sense of this confusion and yeah that's right happiness. and i think that it speaks exactly to how i feel about coconut fro <laughs> it sounds like something that would just bring you great joy fro i just even just you know how how the those two words throw you well one word two words whatever it is feel in your mouth as you say them mm. throw you i mean what is it yeah Joyful. It's, it's joy of course <laughs> and you look at those things in the supermarket and it's like um strawberry ice cream whatever the other thing was i said coconut throw you and then as i write that the coconut throw you though you do not know what it is it sounds like it might be happiness that just mm. comes from that kind of place of unconsciousness that line just continues on because that is the truth of it and, and i think that's what i'm talking about when i'm saying don't stand mm. in the way of that so you could have said get you know ice cream f- frozen something else and coconut throw you full stop it wouldn't have been the same 
Yeah, no, no, and, and and I can. It's interesting with with the video. I I I managed to get a bit mm-hmm. where a, a person was stopping and looking at the at the package, and I get that moment of sort of you know the yeah, you're going down the, the aisles in this constant stream, but here, bang, there's this like this moment, mm-hmm. this other moment, um, which mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um. Of course, I had to look up the word tannoy because I assume that that's oh, yeah. uh, a colloquialism from. Uh, Scotland, is it? Because I, I know it's a brand of speakers, so I have to look okay, it up. So no, in the UK, you will say, you know, um, tannoy for assistance or, you know, did you hear the tannoy announcement? So it didn't occur to me that it wasn't a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, I had to look at it and go, oh, my God, that's, the, where's that from? That's a, a yeah. cultural reference I don't understand, but yeah. Yeah, I got there in the end. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I just think just some, just mentioning again that line, line about coconut fro, you, you do not know what it is. I just, I just want to say again that that's I think where when you just let your pen keep going, it will it will help transform a line. Don't be scared to sound stupid. I I like to show myself in a bad light in many of my poems. I think that's also mm. a good thing today to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That self self deprecation and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. you're never yeah. um is it sort of punching up as they say you're always I'm all, I'm always punching down on myself and that and that's that's important you know yeah. to just you also seem to be comfortable in yourself being able to laugh at yourself as well though yeah you have to you have to yeah, mm. yeah. I'm not yeah, special no. I like to remind myself I'm not special yeah well it's, it's good advice for writing I think just writing those lines out and see where they'll I'll take you. Yeah. Um, which is another consideration, I think. Um, I think John Marsden um, talks about the fact that um, he's a young adult um, fiction writer. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. No. But he talks about how there's um, there's th- three um, main ways that people often write. Um, two of them, which I'll mention here, is like uh, the bricklayer. So they'll, mm. you know, and I imagine lots of poets are like this, that they write a line and they just sculpt that line until it's perfect mm-hmm. and they won't go on or, you know, well, they might write, write a few, but they'll be constantly sort of, and it's a very laborious, um, and if you're writing fiction, that's a very, very difficult mm. um, way to be and a lot of people like that. So he, he used to be that, um, writing in that sort of way um, and being very unproductive. And then he, he learnt to em- embrace what he called, I think it was like the oil painting or watercolour mm-hmm. uh, version, which is basically you just put your pen on the paper and you just let it go. Mm-hmm. You don't stop, you don't edit, mm-hmm. you don't look backwards mm-hmm. and then you just s- see what sort of mess comes out. Yeah. Then you go back and you sort of, is that, um, does that sort of re- relate to your style or? Mm. I mean, typically a, a line, a line will arrive and so you write it down and it might be a year later that you go back to that line. Um, be kind of mm-hmm. keeping it there, as, you know. So there is a whole collection of those lines, and then the day that you choose to, like some days, a poem will the bones of it will come out, you know, in in, in yeah. five minutes, you know. So, but then it might so, take. Sorry. I was just going to say. So, have you got a journal where you keep little ideas that you accumulate over time? Oh yeah, like scraps of paper, and also a file on my computer, of course. You know, with ideas, yeah. my ideas file line. Yeah. Um, and so. I will start to either, you know, I'll get the bones of a poem down in, inside five or ten minutes, maybe, and then it will take me three months to actually make it into something that I think is worth. So basically, I'm just writing down the sentences that I'm going to then turn into a poem, you know. So that'll be that would just be the first step in that particular um, example, 
and then another other examples of how I write would be that I've I've got a line which I think is so good I have to put a whole poem around it and so mm. and there will be a feeling and a message around that line it's not just a, a line but so yeah and then I'll just go through the process of just put it down as badly as it goes down like try not to judge that just put it down the man walked into a shop and bought a packet of cigarettes he then walked to, you know so it's it's going to be boring and it's going to be banal but how are you going to say that in the most creative way you possibly can the most original way you possibly can and then it is a case of going back line by line and well, each yeah. line and oh that verb why did i use that verb that's so crap get the thesaurus out oh there's a really juicy word you know and but you have to be self-critical i mean the ability to actually say that is crap oh, yeah. it's really important isn't it I think so. so but i mean i think also i think most writers do fear that their work is i mean you hear that all the time you know that this is no good this is no good i'm no good but i myself think yeah what i'm writing might be crap but i'm gonna enjoy it anyway and i'm gonna see where it goes and that's how i just live it you know i just don't um i don't know that it's going to be a great poem but i'm gonna make it the best poem i possibly can for for whatever reason i've chosen to do that in my life so that's what i love to do yeah great, mm. great. excellent so um ellie have you got any other work that you um working on yeah right yeah i'm just finishing a third poetry manuscript so i'm just working hard on that and then i have a second memoir on the go so okay yeah um yeah can we expect a as a provocative title as the last one the second memoir or the collection yeah. both of them the, yeah. the <laughs> memoir the memoir and um currently that that memoir is called andrew's snack van tour of scotland which is about my brother and i traveling around scotland and uh me going back after a long period of absence and reconnecting with the landscape and the food and the sense of humor but my brother is someone who knows the location of those little caravan snack vans in Scotland. They are, uh, they are we were driving through the, the countryside and he will sort of take a sharp left-hand turn, go over a river and across a bridge and down into a valley. And there's a little snack van caravan, this little chimney that's making burgers and stuff. That seemed to me like such an extraordinary thing that I decided that the, the, that is, that is. the <laughs> memoir would be, would be punctuated with stops at these various snack vans around Scotland. And they're in strange, strange places. But it's you know it's about going back after a long period of absence, and um, you know right yeah. that next phase of life. So, yeah. and, and is there plans to go back? I know, like with COVID and everything, it must be a disaster. Was was were you meant to be here in Australia for so, such a? No, I was meant to no. be there um, in May 2020. The Coke Can Collection was meant to be being launched in Scotland, oh. a UK edition. So obviously that was cancelled. We hoped it would happen this year. It's not going to happen in 2021. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping in 2022. So do you tra tra um, traditionally sort of move freely between those two lo you know, locations I don't, I don't, and live in both? I don't, I've been in Australia for 25 years and for the first 15 years I didn't leave Australia. I didn't go anywhere, certainly not back to Scotland. That's the last place I wanted to go. And <laughs> then the older you get and, the sort of, you know, and things happen and, you know, your father dies and then there's a pool to go back to your roots you know so yeah that that pool is there very very strongly in for the, since these last five years so if we hadn't had the pandemic i would have tried to get there and, and be there for some months so mm. we would have been there now but you know so be it we're all stuck <laughs> yeah 
In fact, I think I read a, a poem that you might have published somewhere about the pandemic just recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. took a sweep at Albert Camus. And the yes, that's the one. Yeah. Wow, I did see that floating around in some yes. publication. Yeah, what was that published in? It was published in um, a Scottish lit journal called Gitanjali, which um, it's Gitanjali and beyond. So it's, um, it's yeah, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might see that in the next collection, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it's in there. Yeah. Well, Ali, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you. Um, Really, and thank you for the opportunity to work on one of your poems. Um, It's it's brings me such delight, and the thought of bringing a bigger audience to your work, and yeah, it's just terrific. Thank you. You deserve to be read, Um, and hopefully, people can get as much out of your work as as I have. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, James. It's a joy. Thank you. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. Next week we'll be looking at one of the world's most famous poems of all time, Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. To stay notified of upcoming episodes, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And of course, a wonderful video clip of today's poem by Ali Whitelock is now available for viewing on our YouTube channel. For other resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. In a fortnight, we'll be interviewing prominent contemporary poet Kevin Hart, who's currently living in the USA and will feature some of his work. So make sure you tune in. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. If you have no eyes, where do the tears go? By Ali Whitelock. The emotions are half price on Tuesdays. You are lured in after your father's funeral by the fluoro lights, bright as the mushroom cloud you're not meant to look directly into, lest it burn the eyes right out of your fucking head. If you have no eyes, where do the tears go? You go inside, pull your collar up, sink your unexpectedly wet face into the V of your jumper. Make like the woman who cut the coupon from the newspaper and won the three-minute trolley dash at the local supermarket. Take a trolley that does not require the coin you never have. On your mark, get set, go. Aisle one, baked beans, corned beef, two fruits and syrup, sadness. Move quickly. Sadness is unspecial. Take a dozen cans. Check date. Make sure it has long best before. Aisle 2. Ajax. Napisan. Stain remover. Disappointment. Throw in a dozen cans of disappointment. Reconsider. Take spares. Aisle 3. Toothpaste mouthwash, sanitary towels, anger, 
Empty shelves of anger. Get second trolley. Advise girl on Tanoi you will need assistance to the car. Aisle four. Dog meat, cat litter, sardines, regret. Throw in a few, but then again, too few to mention. Turn out of aisle four, past the yogurts culturing better days. The free range eggs in their supermarket cage. The low fat cottage cheese you used to buy in your teens when you were trying to disappear. Aisle five, frozen peas, dim sum, Linda McCartney hot dogs, forgiveness. Seeping from freezers like fog, wipe a circle in the condensation on the glass door. Press your eye up against it. Stare in at the piles of forgiveness stacked neatly in convenient 250 gram blocks. Open the door. Take a single block in your hand. It is lighter than you imagined. Turn to your trolley already overflowing with the anger and rage, the disappointment and the hardly any regret, and consign the 250 gram block of forgiveness back to its fog. Aisle 6. Strawberry ice cream, coconut froyo, lemon sorbet, comfort. Take 10 tubs of comfort. Two of the sorbet, four of the coconut froyo. Though, you do not really know what froyo is. It sounds like it might be happiness. Make way to checkout. Pile half price emotions on conveyor belt. Pay your bill, the girl tannoys for car assistance. Once in your car, you momentarily consider going back for even just one single block of forgiveness. You decide against it. Turn the key in your ignition. Head for the exit. Forgiveness is on ice. You know it will keep. You've been listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.